Turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. Gospel of Mark, whose main question, the main question uh, in the Gospel of Mark is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? But right in the beginning, Mark gives us uh, the answer to this question. Jesus, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the passage that we have before us in this evening will introduce to us people, normal people, just like me and you, facing different kinds of struggles, emotionally, physically, spiritually. So as we go through this passage, I, I want to encourage you to try to uh, identify yourself with one of these characters tonight. It will be a great way for us to apply into our lives. So let's turn to Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 43. And when Jesus has crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathering him, gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hand on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he, Jesus, went with him. And a great crowd followed him and trunged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much many, under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. Verse 27. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crown and touched his garments. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I'll be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus perceiving himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crown and said, who touched my garments? And he said, said to him, You see the crown pressing him around, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed. Of your disease. And while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And he, they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. 
And immediately the girl, the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he, Jesus, strikingly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Let's pray one more time. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, tonight we need something to eat. We need your word. So we pray that your Holy Spirit help us and feed us. And even to myself, I pray that you help me to go through here and be clear. And may your Holy Spirit apply your word into our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In 1924, a British expedition set apart two climbers to conquer the highest mountain on earth, which is the Everest. And as far as we know, they never reached the top. They never returned home. Somewhere in that gigantic mountain, they were overpowered by some natural force. They die. And after this tragedy, the rest of the team returned home. And one day, while addressing a meeting in London, one of the members was trying to explain this ill-fated adventure. Then he suddenly saw a picture, a photograph of the mountain Everest on the wall behind him. And he cried out, Everest, we tried to conquer you once, but you overpowered us. And we, cry, we tried to conquer you a second time, but again, you were too much for us, Everest. But I want you to know that we're going to conquer you, Everest, because you, you cannot grow any bigger, but we can. At some extent, this illustration, this story here of Everest, um, illustrates the life of Jairus, the life of this little girl, the bleeding woman, the disciples, the crowd, my life, how many times I have faced so many Everest bigger than myself, and how many times I, I feel overpowered without resource, without faith, even to, to stand up and start to climb this Everest. But we have the same assurance, don't we? That our Everest will never get any bigger. And why? Not because of us, but because who He is, who Christ is. He's the Son of God who conquered. So that's the message for us tonight. And as we go to the first point here, the first thing we're going to see here is Jesus comforting the broken heart. And perhaps that's your heart tonight. So, verse 21 to 24. Coming from the east side of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus arrived at his hometown where he spent most of his ministry life, the city of Capernaum. And as he was getting out of this, his boat, a crowd approached him in the midst of this crowd. A man called Jairus came with all respect. 
He humbled himself before Jesus, before his feet, imploring Jesus to follow, to follow him to his house because his daughter is at the point of death. Jairus was a father. I don't know what you would do for your daughter, for your son, for your wife. And man, he's Jairus. And it seems to be normal, isn't it? But for Luke, who also reports this event here in chapter 8, Jairus' behavior was an astonishing one, a shocking one. And he starts his gospel, and you can see that in King James, you cannot see in the ESV, but the Greek allows us. He starts saying, behold, see, look at, it's Jairus. In other words, unbelievable. He's bowing down before Jesus. It's like a Muslim. One day he came to me, his wife was sick in the hospital, and he came to me saying, please come and pray for my wife. So why so shocking for Luke? Why? We need to make two questions. Who is Jairus and who is Jesus? Who is Jairus? Mark, make sure that we know here he's a ruler. He's a Jewish leader here, um, a ruler in the synagogue, a religious authority. In the law of God, he was a man who possessed uh, prestige, um, good status in his community. And most of commentators here agree he, he is a wealthy man, mainly because of the commotion, people weeping loudly, and those were professional mourners. You need to pay at least one or two, but here you have a, a crowd mourning, of course, all fake. But he's Jairus. But who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Well, at that time, for most Jewish leaders, especially the Pharisees, Jesus was a non-authorized rabbi, an intruder among the Jewish rabbis. A man who should be silent. And even better, chapter 3, should be put to death. They, they, they already tried to do that. So, Here's the contrast why Luke is saying, Behold, look at the unbelievable Jairus coming to Jesus. And in short, here, if you think about Jairus, his prestige position as a synagogue ruler here, a wealthy man, he's a person who had all the resources for having a happy, enjoyable, and pleasant life. And yet, he's desperate, facing his own Everest here right now. Sickness has just visited his home, and death is about to arrive. And Jairus recognized that doesn't matter who he is, doesn't matter what he has, this Everest is too big for him. And even his understanding of the law cannot even drive away this feeling of hopelessness. And in fact, Jairus here represents the law. I know he's not a Pharisee, but the law. The law. And here's the best work 
that the law can do for us, isn't it? To bring us to the gospel. To bring us to Jesus. So here's Jesus. Sorry, here's Jairus coming to Jesus. Jesus full of compassion and mercy. Jesus who sympathizes with our broken hearts. In verse 24, we see that. Jesus went with him. Have you ever asked yourself how far Jesus can go with me? How far can Jesus go with me when I'm doubting him, when I'm not believing in who he is? How far? Especially when we are sinning, breaking God's law. And those kind of questions sometimes come to our mind. How far Jesus can go with me? But see here, it's amazing that Jesus did not confront Jairus with whether or not he was supporting the Pharisee theology. Are you a Calvinist? Oh, you're not, sorry. I, I cannot do too much for you right now. Are you uh, in the same plane of the Pharisees to kill me? Most likely. It was in Capernaum that Jesus, they tried to kill Jesus. No, Jesus did not confront Jesus. Jesus comforted his heart by following him to his house. So Jesus followed Jesus. And why? Because that's the only way that Jesus makes followers. It is by following us. And when we think that you are following Jesus, actually it's Jesus who follows you. And that's why you don't fall apart. Because he keeping following us. And we will, we will until the end of the age. He's full of compassion. And moving to our second point here, you see that Jesus not only comforts the broken heart, but also perfects weak faith. I don't, know, I don't know how is your faith tonight. I don't know how you feel about your faith. But he's Jesus, perfecting weak faith. As just as Hebrew, the author of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. So verse 25 and 26 says, And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Can you see how Mark introduced this woman making a contrast with Jairus. Here's a woman without name, money, identity, prestige, considered unclean and defiled, who could defile anyone or anything that she touched, based on the Levitical system. A woman who became an outcast among her own family and community. Who wants to be close to this woman? Every time that we touch her, you need to pay money and for sacrifice. And a woman who certainly lost the beauty of her skin color. 
a woman that stinks. Everyone could know about her disease by far. It's this smell, horrible, bleeding for 12 years, brothers and sisters. This is not 12 days, 12 weeks. This is 12 years. Just as, as long Jairus' daughter have been alive, enjoying life. But now, both of them are found under the same power, the power of sin, the side effects of the fall. And see that the Everest does not choose your age. When it comes, it comes. So this is an ongoing defiled situation. And Mark wants us to understand in light of the Jewish understanding here of the mosaic, the, the, the Levitical system here. It's 12 years. It is an ongoing defiled situation which the Levitical system or any high priest from the Old Testament could never resolve. A woman who, who was in a normal period could, yes, after, seven, after a week, could be clean and keep going. But this woman, the Levitical system, could do nothing for her. This is, this is an unstoppable situation. Just like our sins, isn't it? Unstoppable. We, we never stop. We try. So like us, this woman needs someone to bleed in her place so that her bleeding could stop. And verse 27 says, she heard the reports about Jesus. She heard the gospel. She heard the gospel. And this is how Jesus perfects our weak faith, isn't it? It is by hearing through the word of Christ, as Paul says, in Romans 10, verse 17, it is by hearing. Tonight, if you're trying to give up on your faith because you feel weak, you should get the word of God and spend your entire night tonight just reading, reading and praying, praying that the Holy Spirit may make your faith alive again. And again, and more and more. And here we learn what does a genuine faith look like? What a true faith look like here? Verse 27 and 28 says that she came behind Jesus after hearing the, the gospel. She came behind him in the crown and touched his garments. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. So, what does a genuine faith look like? As we can see here, faith is not a positive thing. Oh yes, I have faith. In what? In my faith. That's why something's going to happen. That No, no, no. We see here that the the true object of faith is Christ, what He has done for us. And we see ourselves that faith is not a theory that we just believe out there here. No, biblical faith 
also provides an experiential reality which we can taste, we can feel, we can live by. That's why last um, Wednesday we asked the youths, have you experienced faith? How can you, have you experienced Christ? Can you tell us some experience that you have with Christ? Because faith is not just a theory. Rather, you see in this woman here that true faith is a confident action by which we rely on Christ in His work, despite any circumstance. In verse 20. Nine and third, help us to prevent any misunderstanding here about the divine nature of Jesus. Because you see, see, she taught Jesus and then Jesus, someone taught me and a lot of people get mis, um, disconnected here. What's happening here? So verse 29 and third, help us to prevent any misunderstanding here about Jesus and his divine nature because actually Mark sets both the healing of the woman and then Jesus' knowledge that power had gone out from him happening at the same time. The Greek allows us to do that. Immediately, immediately she was healed and immediately Jesus perceived. And yet Jesus asked, who taught in my garments? Who taught my garments? Why this question, Jesus? Why stopping here since Jairus' daughter is at the point of death? Why not just let this woman go and... After all, she got what she wanted. And Jesus fulfilled his mission, didn't he? Yes, in light of the social gospel, he did. Get your bread, get your healing, and get what you need physically and go home. But Jesus didn't do that. He asked, why? Oh, sorry, who taught my garments? And here are uh, possible reasons for this question. And the first one is, Jesus doesn't want this woman leaving, leaving with a mystical notion about faith or about what is happening with her. So Jesus wants to disclose his divine identity to this woman, at least partially. In verse 33, she got that. And now she is amazed because now she knows that the one who healed her also knows why she came. And second, Jesus wants this woman to give the right response to faith that she has received. And she does respond. Verse 33, she tells the whole truth. She tells the whole truth. Are you telling the whole truth? You know the gospel? As I have said to the youth uh, during the mission trip, you praise God you praise God, you pray to God, and you go to a mission trip to proclaim God. Don't you need faith to do these things? 
And why you don't do confession on faith? You need to live in light of the truth. We need to live in light of the truth. And if it is truth that you do those things and we believe in what we are doing, we need to tell the whole truth. And third, Jesus wants to give this woman who was before unnamed a new identity and he called her daughter. A woman who was an outcast from the synagogue now has been introduced into God's family by the only one who can introduce us to God, the Son of God. Now he's a daughter. She's a daughter. Now she is in God's family. And he's the main miracle here. It's not to stop the bleeding, but to enter in God's family. That's the main miracle. And finally, the final reason he is Jairus. Can you imagine Jairus here waiting for this conversation? And his daughter dying. So Jairus here. Remember when he first approached Jesus? He was seeking a rabbi. Rabbi. But his Everest was too high and too powerful for any rabbi to conquer. So Jesus stopped here so that Jesus could testify through this woman that a man who he first met as a rabbi is in fact the son of God. He's Christ who can conquer death. So Jesus stopped here so that Jesus could receive the good news before the good news arrived. And the good news is that Jesus was not defiled by this unclean woman. Instead, Jesus cleans her and gives a new life to her. And that's the great exchange of the gospel. Right here, Jairus witnessed Jesus doing what any high priest was unable to do. Jesus take upon himself the curse of the law. And now Jairus is about to witness Jesus doing what any Davidic king was unable to do. That is, to conquer death. So Jairus is getting the gospel here through this woman. As we move to our final point here, conquering death, let me read verse 35 and 36. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. Now, if a word Jairus, what? Are you kidding me? Are you asking me to not fear death? If it was a headache, <laughs> yeah, do not fear. But Jesus, it is death. Are you asking me to do that? No, I'm not asking, Jairus. I'm commanding you. Both verbs here is an imperative. And believe, only believe here, the Greek allows us to, to see that what J Jesus is saying is, keep believing, Jairus. Just as you got in the first time believing. So these two imperatives here are very closely tied to Mark, Mark's main question, who is Jesus? Because only Jesus can speak with this divine language. Only Jesus can speak in a way 
And here we speak, speaking with this these language of omnipotence. Verse 39. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making commotion and weeping? The child's not dead, but sleeping. Not dead? Of course she's dead. Of course she is. Yes, she is. Just as Lazarus was for four days, all that is thinking. And Jesus said the same. He's just sleeping. What a hope we have in Christ, isn't it? When it comes to, our, to the ends of our lives, death does not have the final words for us. Jesus does. Only Jesus. Verse 40 says that the people laughed at Jesus. In other words, they did not believe in his words. They are rejecting Jesus' prophetic role here. So Jesus put them all outside. What a great picture of the final judgment for those who do not believe in Jesus' word, in Jesus' work at the cross. They will not experience the power of resurrection. They'll be all put outside. It's just a preview here. Verse 40, the drama gets at its climax of Jairus' Jairus faith, having his daughter's body laying before him. Not just her body, death itself. Death personifying its power, showing how us, mankind, is so subject to it, to the power of sin. And the law. Should we go inside? It's an unclean place. What a test for Jairus' faith in Christ as the Son of God. But not just for Jairus, but for the disciples as well here. It has been a long trip. They started this trip in in chapter 4, verse 39. They saw Jesus exercising power over natural force and over spiritual powers. And now through this woman over the curse of the law. And now death standing before them, testing their faith as well. What we do? Someone already said that a faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. So see your struggle as a way to test your faith. Verse 41, Jesus took the child by, sorry, took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went, I love this part, and went where and where the child was. Again, the question, how far can Jesus go with us? He can go into death. So Jesus is giving a picture here as you can see, our Savior and Redeemer in the wage of sin facing each other. It's just a picture of the cross, isn't it? Jesus was giving a preview of what he was about to do later on when he would share once for all in our death, in our spiritual death at the cross. 
Jesus is just showing that one day he will bleed to stop our bleeding. We will take the curse of the law so that we can receive his blessing. We become unclean so that we go clean. You take upon himself the wrath of God in our place so that we can go free. Still verse 41, taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. You see, there is no battle between death and Jesus here. No. What we see here is, by the power of his words, Jesus conquered death. Just as he will conquer by his death and resurrection once for all, death again. So what I hope we have in Jesus, those who trust in Jesus, and if you are here tonight and you haven't turned your life to Jesus, the Everest is coming. An avalanche can come anytime no matter your age. So please turn to Jesus. See the hope that we have in Him that one day, one day, He's going to take us by our hands and He's going to say to us, Eric, it is time to rise again in a new body, uncorrupted. What a hope we have in Christ, brothers and sisters. So if you are here, you have never Turn your life to Jesus. Let today be the day of your salvation. And perhaps today you may feel your, your Everest is too big already. But remember, it cannot get any bigger. Even death itself cannot go beyond physical damage in us. Because Jesus already conquered. And let me close with, with Jesus' words to his disciples. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. You may have peace. I don't know if you noticed tonight how many times we mentioned the word peace in our songs, in our readings, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world, which means you will also overcome your Everest. Let's pray. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for, for climbing this Everest for us, for conquering death in our behalf. And for those who are disencouraged tonight, oh Lord, perhaps facing emotional, physical, spiritual struggles, Remind them that you have overcome all in our behalf. May your Holy Spirit, O oh Lord, apply this truth of the gospel in our hearts. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.